You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, I'm Bob Barish, and I make great-looking images for a living. Bob Barish is a commercial photographer and director based in Colorado Springs and L.A. He left a career in post-production to pursue his lifelong passion for photography and filmmaking. He's since gone on to become chairman of the Sierra Club Camera Committee, artist-in-residence for the U.S. Forest Service, and a member of the International Society for Aviation Photography. Here's my chat with Bob Barish. Who are you and what do you make for a living? Hi, I'm Bob Barish. I'm a commercial photographer and director, and I make great-looking images and video for my clients. How'd you get started? I've always sort of had a camera in my hand. You know, right now, you're looking at me through a lens that I got for my bar mitzvah. <laughs> um, it's uh, kind of amazing that, you know, yesterday somebody said to me, boy, well, if you got a fountain pen for your bar mitzvah, you would have been a writer. <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny how early these seeds are planted and then... Uh, we go off and do our career thing and then realize, oh, wait, if I'm going to be working for, uh, you know, all this time, I may as well be doing something that I like. I, I had a career in the movie business for a while. Right after college, I moved out to Los Angeles and started working for uh, Paramount and then Sony. And then my longest stint was with Warner Brothers. And it was while at Warner Brothers um, that I was sort of doing photography for our facility, both interiors and portraits. And uh, in addition to um, the work that I was you know, doing for my job, which was uh, sales and budgeting for, uh, for feature films in, in post-production. And I kept doing these tours. I kept doing these tours for visiting VIPs and school groups and that sort of thing. Ultimately, we would get to our Foley stage, which is where they do live sound effects to picture. And I'll, I'll never forget it because it's really what sort of took me on the road that I'm on now. Our Foley artist, John Resch, had this great, you know, dog and pony show for, for these visiting dignitaries and VIPs and such, and really gave them a great sense for what Foley is and what live sound effects are. And ultimately, somebody would ask him, so how did you get into this? And his answer struck me finally, probably after the 12th or 13th time after getting hit over the head with it, he says, I kept doing what I was good at. And it finally hit me. I'm like, I should be, you know, really concentrating on what I'm good at and what I enjoy. And it was, it was the photography and video side of, of what I was doing and, and um, had the opportunity to explore that and turned it into a business. So how did you develop from a hobby as someone who's always around cameras growing up and obviously we're camera adjacent being at these different studios, but how did you actually get good? Uh, probably by buying way too much shit. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I, I really marvel at the camera as a mechanical thing. And it, it's not like I need to go out and get the latest and greatest of every type of thing, but how did I get good? I think by doing, you know, in high school and in college, I chose to uh, work and be around cameras, whether that was in advertising or independent film growing up outside Detroit. And, you know, independent film was a little few and far between there. So I found myself in advertising and mostly in the uh, props and art department area. But it was always the, the camera and the movement of the camera and that there was this thing that without it, none of this other stuff would happen. And then that extended into, into movies because 
I was the guy who in high school would much rather do a video than write a paper. And I mean, there must be something ingrained in the way that my, my brain is wired. I just would rather uh, show something visually than, you know, than, than through writing. But obviously I had to develop the writing side in order to craft the visual side and uh, do client pitches and that sort of thing. So it all really goes hand in hand. Did you have a mentor or someone you looked up to? You know, it's funny because the answer is yes. We had a good family friend uh, named Harvey Ovshinsky, who is a uh, a producer and director in the Detroit area. And I interned for him when I was in high school. And the majority of the work that he did was testimonial advertising, where they would bring in real people, real customers, and interview them about their client's product or service or what have you. And it was fascinating to watch somebody let a person become comfortable in this foreign alien environment of a, of a TV studio or, or location. And then through that, through those interviews, be able to craft a commercial for that client. And, and it was much later when I was first doing, you know, sort of documentary interview type work where all of those lessons came back, all of those lessons about listening and really letting the person talk and letting them guide the story and then sort of just nudging it back to where it needs to be. And, you know, since that time, like I've produced documentaries and I've done a lot of documentary type interview work and, and it's, it's really rewarding to be able to allow somebody to tell their story and have it impact the overall project that you're doing. So in terms of mentorship, yeah, Harvey Obshinsky was, was my first sort of like, oh, you can make a living out of this type guy. You know, you can't be around people without taking something away from every situation that you're in, whether good or bad. So you learn how you want to be, you learn how you don't want to be. And, you know, there are, there are, lots of folks along the line that have contributed to both sides. I find in my own work in, in filmmaking and documentary as well and advertising, it's really fascinating to me that I can have an idea of the story that I'm chasing. And when I put the camera on somebody, when I put the uh, microphone in front of them, I, I know what I want out of them, but when they give it to me, it's, in, it's done in a way that I can't possibly have imagined. To be able to pull a story from somebody and have them convey it in their own words with their own emotion is always a really nice, uh, um, nice surprise. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I've been around people who have worked in a lot of reality television and there's a very big difference between documentary and field producing reality television. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, like you said, when somebody's words, take your project in a direction that is more meaningful than you could have conveyed by storyboarding it out or outlining something and you get to follow that thread somewhere. It's uh, it's really rewarding. Yeah. Where do you look for inspiration? What gets you going? You know, it's interesting. We moved to Colorado in July and I'm also a landscape photographer. I, I was artist in residence for the Angeles National Forest for two years. And I thought that I would be, you know, up in the mountains with my camera uh, all the time. And I've really come to find out that 
without knowing a place and without having a sense of what it really means, and this could apply to landscape, it could apply to a subject, it could apply to, you know, your own confidence in, in your ability, without being comfortable with a place, I find that I can't simply go and photograph and expect something magical to happen. I really need to observe and to become familiar with um, a new place. And then I can go and start exploring because I really want to be able to convey the stories that I want to tell through images in a, in a good way and not just in a, in a peripheral sort of superficial way. So, you know, I, I feel like I needed to observe how the weather is, how the clouds form, how the, you know, how the light is. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain way that, that light gives a, a place character. And until you know that, it's very difficult to photograph it well, because you're simply not intimately involved with it yet. And I don't mean to say that if you travel somewhere, you can't make great photographs or films or what have you, but knowing a place is better than, than not. Did you find it frustrating when you initially uh, moved there to have to go back, having lived in Los Angeles for a long time, uh, getting to know that place? Was it, was it something you were looking forward to, to getting to know this new place, all the nooks and crannies, all the special places, all those little discoveries, or was it kind of a, a bit of a pain? Like, was it something that was a little laborious? Well, the interesting thing is after being in a city like Los Angeles, we were there for 20 years. And over that period of time, I worked as a PA before there was uh, Google Maps or Waze and really had to find my way around the city um, by the Thomas Guide and the skin of my teeth. And I discovered so much in those months that I was, that I was PAing, and it really gave me a great sense of the city. And I really grew to love Los Angeles. I mean, from the ocean to the, the cruddy parts, you know, if there are any left downtown, but like it was, there was always something new to discover. It was, it was really a magic place. Uh, and when we got here, it was sort of like, okay, I've just invested all of these years in getting to know this city and really having it become my home. And then now I have to do it all over. And that, and that applied to uh, my business as well. You know, things, things were taking off. I was doing a lot of architectural and luxury real estate photography. Things were, things were, had clicked. And, uh, but moving here was an opportunity for us that couldn't be passed up. And it was, it was a new adventure. And that causes us to, to grow. It causes us to have new experiences. And if you deny yourself new experiences and opportunities for growth, you'll miss something by simply being comfortable. And the new city and the newness of it will become home and it will become a place where I find interesting things and magical kind of experiences, but um, it takes work and it takes effort to make that happen. But I have to say that it's gorgeous and deer walk through the yard and the birds are cool and now the bears are waking up and it's going to be um, a really interesting uh, spring into summertime. Do you ever run into creative block or doubts or do you ever kind of question why you went down this road creatively? Of course. I think that if we don't question our own creative path, we're doing ourselves a disservice. I think that 
we always have to question where we're headed. And I think that inherently as artists, there's a lot of self-doubt, whether that comes from a place of uh, insecurity um, or simply that we may think that our work isn't up to par with, with where we should be. But that said, if we look for, for feedback outside our own heads, we'll find that that insecurity shouldn't exist because other people see our work and they're like, man, that's freaking great. The creative path is an interesting one. And, you know, there've been lots of times where I'm like, oh, I'm going to pack it all in and take up painting, or I should have become a writer because there's a lot less stuff to carry around. Um, <laughs> but like, we're all in this situation right now. And I hope that at some point in time, people are listening to this and, and uh, this is not the case, but we're all in a situation where uh, we find ourselves quarantined, isolated amidst a uh, global foe that is relatively invisible. So that brings up issues of fear and survival. And I think that when survival and fear creep in, creativity and making work sometimes takes a back seat. For the first two or three weeks of of this, uh, I was I was pretty down on my own creativity, creative process making work, that sort of thing. I didn't, I didn't use it as a refuge from the fear. Um, I used the, the fear and mild panic as a reason for not delving deeper into uh, that, that level of creativity. Looking back on it, now I see it as wasted time where I could have been editing my portfolio. I could have been, you know, working on my reel. I could have been doing all sorts of things and really pivoting in a meaningful way that I ended up doing after the fact and you know, where I'm headed now. But time is is precious. And if if we are given the opportunity to focus on the work that we've made or the work that we're going to make, then we should take it and and not feel bad for for taking that time. Where do you hope to take your work or hope your work takes you ultimately? Well, I've been a commercial photographer focused on stills for the past five or six years, whether that's corporate photography, portraiture, or uh, architecture and real estate, also doing work in aviation and, and automotive. But I, I honestly still have a real love for the moving image. And my goals for the next year are to develop a director of photography and directing reel that takes the experience that I've built in commercial photography and extends that into motion. And that's not to say that here's simply another still photographer who needs to add video to their portfolio, but I really want to create a reel that shows that there is meaningful motion picture to be made in the commercial arena and to be able to take the work that I've done, whether that's uh, interview or or otherwise, and create a great DP reel and be able to tell stories and make great images that just happen to have motion to them. So tell me about your business itself. How are, how are things organized? Are you a solo operator? You got a team? How does it work? Uh, I, I run my business pretty well by myself. Uh, and bringing on crew is dependent on the job at hand. I did a job for USA Triathlon, the uh, governing body for Olympic triathlon shortly after we got to town. 
and it was a it was a big job, and uh, there were a lot of moving parts. So I knew that I needed a PA going into it. So I recruited a, a local PA, and this guy turned out to be awesome. He was just an absolute superstar, and turned into um, not only our PA but also camera operator, editor, um, and all around just great sounding board for the direction of the project and young guy, but just super smart, super competent and a, just a great worker. And, uh, it turned into a, a really nice collaborative, uh, process in addition to what he was doing on the editorial side, um, had to bring in a motion graphics professional motion graphics artist because there was, there was work to be done. I knew that there were enhancements that needed to be made to the project that I didn't have time to handle on my own. So had the budget to, uh, to hire somebody. And it was, it was great. I mean, like the amount of time that he saved really made the project uh, profitable. So yeah, if we're asking about general business structure, I'm incorporated as a, an S Corp LLC, uh, you know, here in the States, it's the limited liability corporation with an S corporation designation. So it's uh, just filed differently under uh, uh, tax law, just a little bit differently. Is there any particular benefit to that? The benefit to S corp uh, designation is that if you're a sole proprietor and run your business as a sole proprietorship, every bit of revenue that you take in, in the business is classified as income and you, you pay personal income tax on 100% of the the after expense uh, profit of the business. If you classify your business as an S corporation, you are allowed to take 50% of your earnings, 50% of your, your profit essentially, as a, a member draw or a, an equity draw and 50% as wage. So essentially you are paying personal income tax on 50% of what you would be taking otherwise. Um, and I'm not a tax professional and I don't, I'm, this is not tax advice. <laughs> it's simply the way that my, my business was structured. And then that, that equity, that member equity uh, is taxed differently than, than personal income tax. Right. So just, it just gives you some more freedom on, on the back end when you're filing your taxes and you're actually keeping a little bit more. Well, that's the thing. It's like the whole point of having a business and the whole point of being in business is to make a living. And if you find better ways of running your business to keep more money either in the business or in your own pocket, then you're doing it correctly. What do you find is the toughest challenge you run into running a business? I think panic is, is the biggest challenge because there are good months, there are good weeks and then there are the weeks where you go many days in a row without getting a call and you think you're never going to work again. And then you start to panic and look at your finances and start to look at your client base. And that's when you will take any job that comes your way. And it may not be the right job. It may not be the right client. And, you know, that may work out just fine and you may be able to pay the bills, but it may also bite you in the ass and it take you in a direction that you didn't want to go in the first place. So what's a good client and a, and a good job to you? 
I ha- I'm lucky to have a lot of great clients and great clients to me are those who really derive a benefit from the work that I do and come back. Loyalty in terms of my client base is 100% the best thing that has happened to me. When a client comes back, you know that the work you're doing for them is good. I mean, you know, we're all sort of making sure that the work that we're doing is good and what we're doing uh, is an improvement on what we did before. And if I can work with a client that, again, like ultimately as a commercial photographer, what I'm doing is giving a client a sales tool, giving a client the ability to communicate what their business does to their potential client base. So it's that type of reward, intangible as it is, that um, that I really see as the biggest benefit to having loyal clients. When you don't have loyal clients, when you've got to go and do outreach, especially when you wind up in a brand new city like you did about 10 months ago, what do you do to get out there and to promote yourself? Well, it's interesting. Normally I would say, well, that's when I go into sales mode and just start making calls and and meeting people. We're in a situation now where you know, I feel like I'm really good face to face. I feel like I want to have a quick coffee or a quick meeting and that sort of thing. And uh, it's very difficult to do right now, especially when people are are prioritizing their either existing relationships or businesses are simply putting every dollar that they've got into employee retention or just keeping their business alive. Mm-hmm. So marketing and communication may be taking a back seat unless they're in food or hospitality and really need to lure people back. So ordinarily I would get into a cold sales mode and start meeting people, uh, arranging meetings, that sort of thing. Do you get freaked out by cold calls and stuff or you just, you just roll right into it? You've had enough experience. You got a, a tough enough hide. As long as I've got the, uh, the research down, usually I, I research a market pretty well and put together a list and that may yield a job. It may not yield anything, uh, but Either way, I know who's, who's working and uh, who are the decision makers. You know, when I was uh, with the studio and doing sales, I created this little card that I kept on my desk that was just a bunch of very, very tiny no, but it, <laughs> it spelled yes, because you've got to be able to hear no in order to get to yes. Do you take sort of a long haul approach to uh, a lot of your client development then? I mean, so if you get a no, do you call them back? Well, you have to develop relationships. And I think that that looks different for different people, different clients. Look, I've been accused in my past career of a very soft sell approach, but it still generated millions of dollars a year in, in business. You know, unfortunately not for my own business. <laughs> that will happen, but it just hasn't happened yet. Um, but the, uh, I think that relationships matter and truthfully here in Colorado Springs, I've found that that is a a big part of the business community here is, is the relationship based community. People aren't going to do business with somebody that they don't necessarily know, even if, you know, their portfolio is good. So it's, you have to find out, I mean, like one of my great clients, they do predictive risk analysis for the insurance industry. I met them at an ice cream shop because I went to get an ice cream to celebrate like one of my first or second clients. 
Like these were the things that I needed to do to reinforce that what I was doing was great. So anyway, I'm sitting there eating this ice cream and this group of people comes in and they were celebrating somebody's birthday. And it was, it was a little place. So they were sort of all seated around me and I'm interested in what people do. And I think that that's what keeps me motivated in helping to communicate what my clients do. Cause I'm curious, you know, and I get to explore that curiosity through the, my camera and through what I do. So I ended up talking with them about their business and, and all this cool stuff that they were developing and doing. And I don't think it resulted in a, in a paying gig with them for like 14 months, but I kept in touch with them because I was, you know, interested in, in seeing where it could go. And in that ensuing time, I've, I've done a number of jobs with them and, and it's been great. So what does a typical day look like for a, for a commercial photographer? Um, it varies. Say I've got a shoot lined up for an aviation client that, you know, we'll have done pre-production meetings beforehand, determine if it's like jet photography, if it's business photography in a maintenance facility, if it's uh, portrait photography for an upcoming magazine cover, we'll figure out you know, obviously what the job is, the details of the job, and then we'll come up with a schedule. That is all part of keeping myself as a creative partner with my client. Because as an army of one, I don't have an agency sending me out. I have to do the the production work as well as the photography. So we're, we're meeting about what the job is. We're meeting about what, uh, what is going to be shot. And, and really important to me is how it's going to be used because the client may not know everything about how these images are going to be used. And it's my responsibility to say, oh, well, if it's going to be used for a magazine cover, trust me, we're going to need some space around you. You know, so when I deliver you this, this portrait, that's going to be used as a, you know, single magazine cover and you, you know, in a medium shot, there's going to be a lot of like hanger behind you and tarmac because that's where the you know title of the magazine is going to be. And here's where the stuff's going to be on the side. So it's about knowing the use, but then it's a lot of like hauling stuff. So you load up, <laughs> you know, I've learned now to like load up the car the night before. Uh, if it's a relatively early shoot, you, uh, you load up the car, you take more stuff than you think you'll need. You go and you set yourself up for success. There's this quote by uh, Sun Tzu from the art of war, which is, uh, the battle is won or lost before it is fought. And it's really about the preparation that we put into what we do. And part of what I do is really pride myself on being a professional. And if I show up and the batteries aren't charged or I don't have a piece of gear that would have made this perfect shot or what have you, like, yeah, we'll get an okay image, but I know that it could have been better. And that's really what it's all about. You know, you, you do the best work you can no matter what. With all this prep, I mean, this is a lot of work going into finding the client, to landing the job, to prepping the job, developing the whole thing, then going out and doing it. And of course, then there's all the work after the fact to, to, to actually finish the photos and deliver. How do you find you balance your time and your energy between creativity and your business and, and having a personal life? It depends. I mean, sometimes depending on the deadline, there isn't much balance. I, I do find that funny enough, I, I always find enough time to have dinner with my wife and, you know, sit on the couch and watch an hour of TV, but then I'll end up staying up till two in the morning editing. And that's just the way it is. I mean, 
it, it's it's those days that make up for the days where I can go ride my bike for three hours because I give myself that time. You know, when you don't work in an office and you don't have a schedule dictated by somebody else, for good or for bad, you're responsible for what you're doing. And that's what it all comes down to. It's like, if you are going to run your own business, you are your boss, which is great. And that's what everybody, you know, romanticizes, but you're also going to be the one that has to have a stern talking to with yourself when you, you know, (laughs) screw around and procrastinate because there's work to be done. And I'm super guilty of it. Like I'm a terrible procrastinator, but when it, comes down to knowing that I'll be prepared for a job or know that I'll be prepared for a meeting versus having to make excuses. Like there are no more excuses. I cannot, there's nobody to blame. (laughs) It's just me, you know, that's it. That's why you hire an intern just to blame them. Right. Yeah. Just a, (laughs) you know, wanted scapegoat. (laughs) So what advice do you have for somebody who's looking to get into the commercial photography game? I think that if photography is something that you really love and you've got a passion for, but also see it as a way to make a living through your maybe one and only God-given talent, then give it a try. Because look, the hardest thing is the fact that we live in an image-based world right now. Everything is images and video. And there is always somebody who's going to be posting some epic video or epic photo on Instagram. And you're going to say, Oh, that's fucking great. And I'm nothing. And then you look at your work and the way that you approach how you do your photography and it's different. And the great thing is, you know, I was chairman of the Sierra club camera committee in LA for a little bit. And we used to do these outings and then we, some people would, would show their photos at our next like member show. And like, you can have seven photographers in the exact same place, taking a picture of the exact same thing. And each photo is going to be 100% different from the next. And that's the beauty of what you do is that nobody else does what you do, how you do it. There is nobody that has the same take on something. And look, you may specialize in black and white. You may specialize in only shooting analog. You may specialize in, in high-speed photography. I mean, who knows? But there's something that is drawing you in that direction that if you don't follow it, you're going to regret it. So even if you take a sabbatical from your insurance sales job for a year and a half, or more to the point, have it be your side hustle and, and really pursue that as your only hobby or your only interest outside of work, you're going to find that either you want to keep it as a hobby because you want to maintain your love for the art and creativity of photography, or you are the type of person who wants to run a business and you need to have that business have a personal connection to your soul. And if photography or video or what have you is the the link between a business and what will keep you yourself try it so where can people find you well you can find me at bent river studio and the web address is bentriver.co like the state of colorado 
or com without the M. So bentriver.co. And I'm on Instagram. You can find me. It's very simple. Just Bob Barish, all one word. And, um, you know, check the show notes for uh, all these links. Nah, I have no show notes. Okay, never mind. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing how you make a living. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Subscribe to Making a Living Show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. Follow along at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you like what you hear, please share the show with someone you know. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.